the Nerd United Nations podcast. Ah! Now, here's your ambassadors, Melissa Nicholson <laughs> and Jared Boots. even a few murders. You're all invited. If any of you will spend the next 12 hours in this house, I'll give you each $10,000 or your next of kin in case you don't survive. Hello, nerds and nerdettes. Welcome to the Nerd United Nations podcast. I'm your Canadian ambassador, Melissa Nicholson, and here with me is my co-ambassador of the Midwest United States, Jared Boots. And we have a special guest today, Shadow the Cat. Well, thank you. Thank you. Happy Halloween, nerds and nerdettes. And technically, her name is Shadow Jane Lane, not Shadow the Cat. Well, whatever. Come on, Lisa. <laughs> Here in America, we give our cats real middle names. <laughs> Excuse me for forgetting. Lisa, happy. <laughs> You're forgiven. If you follow my Instagram and Facebook close enough, you know she has a middle name. Damn it. (laughs) Happy Halloween, Melissa. Happy Halloween to you, too. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Yes, it is. It definitely is. I still have to think of a Halloween costume, so, you know, better get on that. (laughs) Well, you can be like Wednesday Adams at the end of the first uh, Adams Family movie and dress as a psychopath. You don't have to buy a costume. That's true. <laughs> Easy, right there. <laughs> so me, you see, you've seen my, you've seen my pictures online at this point. Uh, I've been going to Halloween parties just as a, just as a skull. <laughs> Bought a cheap skull T-shirt and some grease paint, and that's all I all I did. <laughs> there you go. I can I can be pretty good with last minute Halloween costumes. I basically did that with uh, uh, Beetlejuice last year. That was a throw together last minute. I think it turned out pretty well. So. <laughs> uh, I was I was a I was a unicorn last year. <laughs> yeah. <so> magic. <laughs> Can't get out of my head. The shadow's glaring at me right now for that. Because <laughs> she wanted to be a so, <laughs> so, with this being Halloween, it's our last chance to give our listeners some spooky treats. For the month of October, what do we have in store for the Junior Ambassadors tonight on All Hallows' Eve? Well, 
we are going to talk about the movie House on Haunted Hill. And it's a movie from, for those that don't know, um, but if you don't know, you need to go see it because it's a pretty decent film. And it's... It it's a classic. A classic, yes. Um, <clears throat> as of February this year, it celebrated its 60th anniversary. And it's uh, from 1959. And the movie is about um, a character named Frederick Lauren. And he has invited five strangers to a party of a lifetime. He has offered each of them $10,000 if they can stay the night in a house. But the house is no ordinary house. The house has a reputation for murder. And basically, yeah, it's the whole evening of stuff happening and and obviously murders. And it's a little bit of a, a little bit of a whodunit, but also not. That's what I was saying. It's more of a suspenseful whodunit more than a horror movie. Yeah, yeah. It's not really. I wouldn't classify it as a as a horror movie at all because it's not scary. Um, but yeah, it's that that suspenseful. Well, I'm sure. I'm sure. Back in the. I'm sure back in the fifties, it was considered a horror movie. Oh, it was. Yeah, like for the for some of the scenes and stuff and and sort of their attempt at like special effects and things. It it probably would have been scary for the time, and it would have been considered a horror movie. I'm sure. So, but you you watch it now, and it's not not even close to a to a horror movie, but it's definitely a a classic movie and a, a decent film. Um, yeah, always enjoy it. Yes, uh, it's probably one of the first Vincent Price films I've seen. If we did mention, it stars the legendary Vincent Price, which, speaking as a Cub, a Chicago Cubs fan, he is the best thing to come out of St. Louis. <laughs> This is probably one of the Vincent Price's most well-known things besides the Shakespeare work he did, I think. But uh, House on Haunted Hill probably has to rank up there one, probably one of his most famous films. Probably, yeah. I would say so, too, because, like, you you know, you can say Vincent Price, and, like, I'm sure, you know, the first movie that somebody's going to think of is that one. Because, um, yeah, I would, I would think it's more of his, you know, more well-known films that he did. Yeah, they'll probably yeah, think of House on Haunted Hill. They'll think of uh, Doctor Fives. They'll probably think of The Fly. Mm-hmm. Maybe younger, younger people probably think of him from uh, what is it? Oh, Edward Scissorhands, which was his yeah. last film. Yeah, yeah. Or people might know him from The Muppet Show. Yeah, that too. <laughs> I remember that one. <laughs> Uh, this is really I don't, I'm not well studied on big stars from the 50s uh, a lot of people I know from that time period like the golden age of Hollywood I know more of the comedians like the, Sto- the Three Stooges, the Marx Brothers Evan Costello, Laurel and Hardy those are the ones I'm more familiar with back then because um, mm-hmm. even when I rewatch this movie and I look up the actors on IMDb, Vincent Price is yeah the main guy everybody knows, but the only other guy I knew from the cast was Alicia Elisha Cook Jr., who plays uh, Watson Pritchard, and 
I only know of him because well, 30 years after he made House and Haunted Hill, he was a uh, he had an episode of uh, Alf where he played uh, Willie's uncle. It was just like a little one-off episode. Okay. Yeah, I don't but, know. Uh, other than that, I didn't know a lot of the actors. Yeah, neither do I, really. I um, I don't know a lot of the the people that are that star in the movie, other than obviously Vincent Price. So, yeah, to me, it's sort of a lot of you know your unknown, not a, not a lot of well-known actors in the movie. Like it's you know. If you, unless you're somebody who knows these actors in other films that you might have watched, you know that they did at the time. But yeah, so. a lot of television actors. They're probably big on. I tried to do some skimming, and some like some of them were big on TV back in the yeah. back in like the fifties and sixties. Because this actually, this film is actually the. For coming out in 1959, this film was the last screen appearance for two different actresses in the movie. Uh, Leona Anderson and uh, Julia or Julie uh, Mitchum. Julie Mitchum, you know, this was 1959 was her last on-screen movie. She didn't pass away till 2003. Oh, wow. So she was, she must have just up and retired from the mm-hmm. acting at that point. I think at this point she was born 1914, so she's what 45 when this movie came out. So yeah. And uh, Leona Anderson, she passed away by 1973. So a lot of it probably her was probably health. She was the old woman that uh, the quote unquote ghost that appeared in the basement to Nora and. Jumping into film, that's one thing I found myself saying a lot last night was while I was rewatching the film last night was poor Nora. <laughs> that that character had its poor Nora played by uh Carolyn Craig, who uh she actually passed away not too long after either. Um we'll look up when she passed away. I believe she uh she ended up uh Dying from a self-inflicted gunshot wound, like not much longer after this movie came out. Like I want to say, like in the sixties, maybe. Wow. She was not that old when she passed. She was not that old when she passed. I tried to do some research on her, and she was like a television actress at the time. But House on Haunted Hill was like her big IMDb credit. Hmm. I'd say she's really. Of all the actresses in the movie, she's probably the. I would say she's more front and center than uh, Kara Omhart, who played uh, Annabelle Vincent's wife. Yeah, because yeah, she like yeah Annabelle. She was sort of like in some scenes, but she was also just sort of more of a like a background character. Which is surprising because she's one of the how major of a player she is in the central plot too. Mm. And she just see her drift in and out, but this poor, like I said, half the time I was watching this poor Nora, just, <laughs> she had a, she had a, she had a long night in that house. <laughs> she did. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, she certainly uh, went through the ringer on that one. God. <laughs> she earned she earned her ten thousand dollars that night. Yep. Yeah, I'm right. She did. <laughs> but well, uh, you know, sorry to jump so far into the movie right off the bat, but. <laughs> Well, but as uh, Melissa and I are talking off air, Melissa and I are both, if you don't know us by now, we're both pretty well involved in the paranormal community. And uh, the opening of this movie, you see floating around on a lot of uh, Facebook pages and stuff now of there will be food and drink and ghosts. As uh, Vincent Price welcomes us, or should I call him Vincent Price or should I just call him by his character name of Frederick Frederick Lauren. Yeah, well, it actually starts off with uh, well, if you didn't blow your eardrums out watching the movie, it starts off with those that just plain black screen and a blood curdling scream, which I know scared scared the crap out of Shadow last night while we're laying in bed watching it. <laughs> but Alicia Cook actually opens the movie with his intro, giving us like a brief discussion, a brief history of the house. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got yeah, the classic Vincent Price line. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, it's that that sort of history, and then yeah, then it gets into Vincent Price and his yeah, the infamous line, and then you know, became all the memes and things. <laughs> yeah. Now, uh, when we first start to see all the characters start to show up at the house, you see the chandelier fall when everybody's starting to walk in. I can't quite tell it is. Did Vincent Price cut the line on the chandelier or did the chandelier just fall? Because the way he's set up, it looks like he's watching. It looks like he he shows no concern for the chandelier falling. Yeah. So it makes you wonder if he cut it. I feel like he might have because like if you know he sort of like he you know his he kept saying to to his wife like oh it's your party but I think he he definitely was instrumental in everything and yeah I could see it I could see him oh let's just start things off and let let that chandelier right <laughs> cuz you'd think if it just randomly fell he would be like really concerned or he you know shows some kind of emotion towards it but if he doesn't well then that's there's purposeful he, he and, and if you're not and uh melissa said when he's talking to uh to his wife how their, the relationship in this movie is not it's not a happy marriage annabelle is essentially what uh annabelle is uh Friedrich's uh, fourth wife. Uh, she said, "What the first one mysteriously disappeared. The other two died of heart attacks." Yeah, I believe I believe that's what she tells. Uh, she tells it to Lance Lance Schroeder, one of the party guests. I think her and uh, Frederick talk about it too, also about how his wives disappear and. I love Vincent's line, or I love Frederick's line of, "If would you, I bet you wouldn't go away for a million dollars, would you?" 
<laughs> Virgil's a, with a dis. I bet you wouldn't disappear for a million dollars. Just gives him that look. <laughs> Not a chance. I want it all. Well, exactly. It's you know I was thinking about that, and when it's a very they have a very macabre relationship. Like it's it's not toxic, but it's it's just it's really weird. It's you know it's cold. It's just demented, and like the perfect you know like demented is definitely the word for it. Because like in the, his line to to his wife before uh, Frederick's line to to Annabelle. Um, you know, before he leaves the room, he's like, you know, don't sit up all night thinking of ways to get rid of me. It makes wrinkles. <laughs> that was a good one, too. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Oh, those of us have seen it. Anna, Annabelle's a flat-out gold digger, or a trophy oh, wife, essentially. Definitely, and clearly, like, just married him for money. That's it. Nothing else. And I don't think it, I don't think it, does it say what he does for a living? I know he owns, I think it's mentioned he owns companies because going back to poor Nora, she is a secretary for one of his companies, but does it say what he actually does? I don't think so. I don't think they actually say it's like everybody somehow has a connection to him or they've. Was I think one of the characters was like, well, I've, I know of him, but I haven't seen him or something. And, so, and then, that yeah, might have been then, Nora. Maybe Nora knows who he knew, knows who he is, but has never met him. But oh. he said the the one common thread is they all need money. Because mm-hmm. uh, Lance is a pilot. Uh, then you have the doctor. You have the care oh, not the caretaker, but <clears throat> almost like the historian of the house. Um, and then you have um, Mrs. Sliders, Mrs. Slider, or no, it was Ruth Bridgers, who is she's essentially the uh, she's a reporter. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a like his like like the character Frederick. It's almost his kind of exploration in greed, because it's all these people that. You know, generally, like they have money, they have some form of wealth, but they want more. And he's he's obviously like he's you know he carefully picked these people, knowing there's well, definitely going to be in on it because it, it's going to earn them some money. You know, and oh, they're staying there because they're going to earn money. So, well, I th- I think with Nora. Is what it is. is she, I think she's supporting her family on a yeah. single working woman's income. Yeah. So that's why she needs she needs the money for those purposes. Um, this, Pritchard, know. Pritchard, who's played by Cook, uh, who plays Pritchard, his brother was murdered in the house by his sister-in-law, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So I'm so. not sure why he needed the money. I, they list off the reasons why they need the money, but... The, and Ever Nora's was being, uh, she's helped essentially taking care of her family on her single income as being a secretary working for Pritchard, or not mm. Pritchard, but working for uh, Lauren. Yeah, but I don't recall them saying what he did for a living, because I know uh, 
my memory of the remake that came in 99, which Jeffrey Rush is vague, but I think he owned like a theme. He was wealthy, but I think he owned like a theme park or something like that. Yeah. So I remember a, I remember a scene where he was taking like reporters on a, uh, on his newest thrill ride. Uh, supposed to work like a broken elevator. So it's almost like his version, his theme park's version of like the Tower of Terror. Mm. Like a drop elevator is all it was. So that I remember, but I don't ever recall. So I'm assuming Frederick Lawrence just a mogul is what he is. Yeah, I would say so. Just somebody he's who's got money. Yeah, he's got money. He's he's got you know, money. He owns companies. Yeah, and he can give it away by just just throw away money. So yeah, he's well off for 1959. Definitely. Jeez, you have to be somebody very lucky to have that kind of money in that time. <laughs> Simple, simpler time back then. <laughs> and you know, I was wondering, maybe I completely missed it in the movie. I don't know. Maybe I have to go back and watch it again. But Lance, when he goes into that, like they're they're looking at the doors or they're, they're opening the doors, whatever, and he goes through the one door and then the door slams and then he doesn't come out and she can't open the door. And then somehow he gets out. What the hell? How the fuck did he get out? Yeah, that was one of the scenes that I had to. Re- that was one of the scenes that I had to rewind last night just because I, I had it on. I watched I watched Lance go into the door. Yeah. I, I looked away for the screen for a second and hear, which you're gonna like do it. Take a shot every time you hear me say "poor Nora" in this episode. <laughs> I hear "poor Nora" screaming. And it's the character. Well, it's she sees it. What she thinks is a ghost, and uh, which we later is revealed to be the female caretaker of the house. But um, yeah, so I go go back and rewind. I'm like, okay, Lance walked in. Did something happen to Lance? Because I hear her screaming for Lance. And then you cut to her running away, and they find Lance in a different closet or different room, and his head is bleeding. Nothing for him to hit his head on. Yeah. That, but you have Pritchard saying they got to him. Yeah. It's like that, that totally doesn't make any sense. <laughs> I honestly thought I'd be. Well, I, <laughs> I think they're trying to apply that there's trick doors, because the trap doors, because that's why they go, him and Nora go back down there later trying to knock on the wall. Cause I think even he's confused that has he, how he got to the other room. Right. So, so they're down trying there trying to like knock on the wall. Yeah. So maybe, but yeah. I think so it's established some... later in the movie. There is trap doors and stuff around there. Hmm. So yeah, he got out. He obviously, cause yeah, he was in another place so obviously yeah ended up somewhere else however he did but yeah and uh with the doctor character in this movie uh dr david dr trent 
he's essentially the skeptic of the whole of the whole group. Well, not, I think everybody's almost skeptic of skeptic of the fact that they are supposed to be the spirits of seven people in that house. Mm-hmm. And that's that's actually turns to the main one because he's the one that he writes everything off as hysteria. So when Nora sees the the housekeeper, though the uh, caretaker twice in the basement. And then she sees the head in her, um, the head in her uh, suitcase, which that's one thing that never gets uh, addressed. It just brushed off as hysteria, because when yeah. she sees, when she sees the alleged ghost in the basement, it's shown that it's the caretaker of the house who's blind. But do you know something weird? How how weird the the she was when you see the. The quote unquote ghost the first time, how she clearly she's on like a pulley system or something like on the wheels and getting pulled across the room. <laughs> and it's later revealed, like, wait a minute. <laughs> like okay, like okay, back in nineteen fifty nine, they create the illusion of like if it was a ghost floating, okay, they'd have to do something like a wheel system or something like that. But like but wait a minute, it's being written off as it was the caretaker the whole time. So why was the caretaker moving so funny? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. There's a lot of like loose ends to the movie. It's, okay, why haven't you explained this? And because it's it's significant enough that you'd think they'd come back and explain it at some point, but they just don't. They kind of they they shrug a lot of stuff off and just continue with you know, the main sort of story. But I do, I do like, I do like the, the lighting effects to whenever she saw the ghost, how the lights dimmed where Nora was and the, they changed the lights over to where the caretaker was. Did you notice that at all? So when Nora's, yeah. when, uh, when, it, when he's in the, the lights all change, that was pretty cool. That was pretty neat. Yeah, there's definitely some cool, like you know, cool effects for the time. Like the, you know, they're different, you know, playing with lights, like you're you're in different lighting, and then just you know the effects of the ghosts and things like that, right? Like I, I think that's pretty cool. You know, it's it's you know, maybe not ahead of its time, but it's you know trying to. Do They're making things. the best of what they can. Well, exactly. They're doing the best of what they can. Yeah. yeah. And uh, <laughs> especially for the time too. I'm I'm a huge lover of practical effects. Like John Carpenter's The Thing from 1982 is one of my John Carpenter in general is one of my favorite directors because he's a huge uh, believer in using practical effects and stuff. Mm-hmm. Or like if you follow Melissa on social media, you know she hates on Friday the Thirteenth, the original Friday the Thirteenth, but. Uh, Tom Savini, his makeup special effects for that movie are just insane. Dude's a visual master. For the low budget they had and for the time of 1979, filmed in 1979, released in 1980, still pretty good effects. I'll take that over a CG any day. Like, yeah, the new It movies are really great to look at. Like Prince, any James Cameron movie is all CG. It's all cool to look at. I remember hearing on a podcast how I think they're talking about the first it movie as unreal fans, real movies. They're talking about the first it movie and how CG just takes away that 
um, that feeling when you watch a movie, that that feeling of wonder, like, oh, how do they do that? Mm-hmm. Well, like for example, for example, uh, the leper in the It movies, instead of which easily could have been done with makeup, is all CG. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, to make a long side tangent short, I just I'm yeah by. 2019 standards they had the the uh effects in uh house on haunted hill are quite for like a better term hokey and corny but i still love them they work for the time and like hell i grew up on three stooges those that's 20 years prior to this movie and yeah you can tell they're using mannequins when people are flying through the air and all that stuff but you know what's all it looks good Exactly. For the time. Yeah. I mean, you, you can't... Yeah, when you watch it now, because you're so, you know, we're so used to everything being, you know, computer-generated and not much in the way of, like, actual effort to make, you know, an effect for a movie. And so, you know, but you can still, you know, admire what they did for the time. You know, I'm sure, you know, you watch it that, you like, you... You were someone living in during that time, and it you know you you're seeing it, and it's just incredible. You know, it's just like, you know, like Star Wars. You know, when that came out, I'm sure a lot of people were like, like minds blown at you know the effects. So, you know, that that's a game changer, right? So that was a huge game changer. That. That would be another almost another twenty years away. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it's you know it's it's really cool when you you know, you have these people who are really trying to, you know ex- do um do as much as they can with what they have. And you know, it makes it, you know, um makes it look cool. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. Really, so it's I, not a, by 2019 standards, it's not a, a horror movie by 2019 standards. Although, given some of the selection we have for horror movies nowadays, I would take this over. I would take this or any other Vincent Price movie over a lot of modern horror movies anymore now, actually. Like, I've gone on record saying, like, for example, Blumhouse, their studio is very hit and miss with some of their movies like get out was a great film then i go and watch winchester like oh this movie sucks (laughs) like it's all top of line effects and shit like man i don't watch a film about a haunted house i'd rather watch house on haunted hill than winchester ever again and in some ways i think with you know i really don't like I've seen, you know, some of your newer, you know, horror films, but in some ways, I really like, you know, your classic horror films because they're just so much better and more focused on like intensity and, you know, like story and all that kind of stuff instead of just a lot of these modern horror movies. There's a lot of blood and gore and 
you know, which is fine if you want to, if you're into, you know, your slasher flicks and stuff like that. But it it's really takes away from from what you're trying to do. And it's just, okay, you know that's fake. You know, you know, and then your classic films, it's like, it looks, they, they make it look so real. But you know, you know, it's clearly a movie and it's fake, but it certainly looks, you know, real as in, you know, your modern horror movie. And it's like, yeah, this is, it's lame because it just looks, you know, yeah, this is fake. Oh, look at there's blood squirting everywhere. There's this, and it just it really loses its, you know, really loses the appeal of wanting to watch a horror movie for suspense or a good scare or whatever, you know. Um, yeah. You know, the only the only modern good like newer one, which was I actually enjoyed was like The Conjuring. I felt that was going back to more the the classic horror where it was more suspenseful and setting up the scene for something to happen not so much just moving quickly through a movie and then you'd have no idea really what you watched it was just you know a bunch of and, and uh that and that brings a good point is the suspense building because that's what movies like house on hundred hill do is they build that suspense like yeah. i I've said numerous times I love a good cheesy slasher horror film. Like I love the Banana Splits movie, corny as hell, good slasher movie. I love to watch the kills in it. Uh, I love my Freddies, my Jasons, my Leatherfaces, my Chuckies. I love my cheesy slasher films. You essentially watch that for the blood, the guts, the bimbos that get cut in half, nudity, all that stuff. They are rated goodies. But then again, I also like these type of suspenseful films. I was just thinking to myself the other day how me and my buddy Mikey at work talk about John Carpenter's The Thing a lot. And that, you know, it's a movie I've only been watching recently. I've been on a huge John Carpenter kick the last few years. And I was thinking to myself today, we've lost, in the last handful of years, we've lost a lot of great horror actors or directors like Toby Hooper, uh, Wes Craven, George Romero, I'm thinking of all like, all those. The last big one we have left is John Carpenter. Not saying that there isn't. Well, no, James Wan is a more modern guy who's really good at building suspense. But John Carpenter is really good at building suspense in his mm-hmm. movies. And I think it's a lot of things that the modern horror films lack. It's like you said. It's all about the blood, the guts, the jump scares. And for example. Yeah. Uh, I might get crucified by a few of my friends. Like modern horror movie, I don't really care for is Terrifier. I do not care for the movie Terrifier. Like, I love a good bloody gutty horror movie, which this is. It's it is cheesy, but it's almost too much. And I think I mentioned on the Ice Nine Kills episode how there's a scene where he this clown, like the guy that plays the clown, Art, he doesn't say a word the whole film, which is pretty good on him. Well played on his part, but like his character writes his name in shit on a wall in a pizzeria, and it's like, ugh. Ugh. It's one of those movies where it's like, it's one of those movies, there's very few movies where, you know, some people have to watch something happy after they watch a horror movie. And uh, 
there's a handful of movies where I have to watch something pleasant after I, I watch it just to get my head back in a good space. Terrifier is one of them, but so is John Carpenter's The Thing. And if, if people at home have seen John Carpenter's The Thing, this movie is heavy. This is a heavy movie. I think the other movie I did that too was Lords, Rob Zombie's Lords of Salem. And this is more of like a what the fuck did I just watch <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> I just need to watch something like I got to throw something happy in. But like as much as I love John Carpenter as a thing, I got to watch something happy after I watch it just because of that suspense build. Yeah. But I, God be with me, I'm going to attempt. I heard on Timothy Rooney's podcast, Anything Goes, when they reviewed the thing. When people are preparing to go into seclusion somewhere, they would do a double feature of The Thing and The Shining. Oh, boy. So one of these days, I'm going to try that. <laughs> so somebody yeah. might want to do a well. Somebody might want to do a welfare check on me. <laughs> say I'm doing that. Just so they get in that right mindscape of uh, right that right mindscape of uh being isolated, being in an isolated area. Yeah. Jesus. But, that, would, that would be... God oh, damn, that would be intense. Have you seen John Carpenter? Have you seen John Carpenter's The Thing? Because I know you just saw The Shining recently. Yeah, watch that one. And that one, I definitely had to watch something after because not so much that it was, like, scary. Like, it, it really... I didn't find it scary, but it was just that intensity. It is not a lighthearted movie by any stretch of the imagination. It's a very heavy movie. And yeah, it was, it was, I really liked it though. Like I I thought it was good. Um, I really enjoyed it. But yeah, after I had to watch something just to like get out of that, I don't know, whatever, thought process I was in while watching the film and then to just get out of that because it was just uh um it was quite intense but I haven't seen just to get your bearings back. Yeah, pretty much. Like it was just that okay. Holy crap, that was (laughs) it I I don't know really what I expected from the movie. Um there was a lot that because like I know the the you know the the creepy twins and, you know, the, the other infamous line, you know, he breaks through the, pokes his head through the door and he's like, here's Johnny, you know, like I know that. So I was already, you know, familiar going into it, but I didn't know what to really expect. And I just, I didn't expect that level of intensity. And so, yeah, it was, it was something that I just, yeah, I had to put something else on just to, you know, yeah, get that bearings back and just get out of that wherever I was in my head. <laughs> but, uh, uh, we've gone completely off off the route of talking about House on a Hill. Don't even bring it back to the bring it back to the uh, the main road here. <laughs> um, I have uh, thing, but it's on my list of movies to watch. <laughs> uh, Definitely watch it. it. It is it is a good movie, and you get, if you know who Wilford Brimley is, you get to see Wilford Brimley without his mustache. Oh, <laughs> and he like he, he looks different. He's like in his mid to late forties in this movie too. Okay. So, 
his hair is not completely white, no mustache, and but uh, but you'll love the if you, if you didn't like the if you don't like like Tom Savini's style of practical effects in Friday the Thirteenth, the first Friday the Thirteenth, then you probably might like John Carpenter's visual effect, uh, his uh, his effects that he does, his practical effects he does for a lot of the monster, the main monster in the movie. It all depends on how much of a snob you are. Because I think we j- I jokingly call you, you're, you're a cheese snob. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> Back here. Uh, I, I love my cheese and my horror movies. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but going back to going back to the top of the episode, how you call, how you you took the words out of my mouth when you called it a, a whodunit. Because that was the first thing that came to my head when I watched it last night. This is more of a whodunit. I think it's probably the last. I've seen the movie. I've seen this movie a few times over the over the last ten uh, ish years, maybe more. Yeah, 10, 15 years. I've probably seen House of Hunter quite a few times. And this is probably the last time. It's probably the first time I saw it as a whodunit. Mm-hmm. And to to sync it up to what we just ranted on about aimlessly about how. It does do a good job of building that suspense. Like, is Vincent Price behind this? Because then, halfway through the movie, Annabelle is allegedly dead, allegedly hangs herself. And as you can see, Annabelle starts planting the seeds prior to her mysteriously hanging. She starts planting the seeds in the minds of all the partygoers. Like, my husband's trying to kill me. Get out while you can. He's gonna, he's gonna kill us all. Blah blah blah, to the various sorts. So, to the point where, if at the point where anything happens, they're all gonna automatically suspect him. Exactly. So you gotta wonder, like, you know, they're all planning it. They already kind of were sort of, you know, eyeing him up, but they were also not gonna not believing it until yeah she started manipulating the whole thing so you know was you know frederick right all along that it well it's her party you know she's she's doing everything like it wasn't you know she's she's manipulating people into believing that you know frederick's this awful man and and you know they're all in danger and but then it's also it's her setting it up. Like, you don't know really if it's Frederick or if it's if it's Annabelle. You don't really know. And then they set it up almost like how yeah they are working against each other, but it almost seems like they're working together at the same time. Like it's a almost mm-hmm. like a con that the two of them are putting on together. That. The, it almost seems like to the public eye, to the in the eyes of the other five guests, like all oh, these two act like they hate each other, but they it almost seems like their distaste for each other is almost an act. But then you see it behind closed doors of yeah, these two do not care for each other. But you do find out at the end, spoiler alert, that Annabelle is working with somebody the whole time. And an even bigger plot twist at the end <laughs> after that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yeah. So it's it's also, you know, what I do like about the movie too is it's not it's not predictable because you don't really they, they kind of steer you in the direction that, you know, Frederick's this bad guy and then they lay it on with, 
you know, Annabelle manipulating everybody and making her like, oh, she's the victim, and then everybody else will be the victim of this. And <laughs> so, yeah. Poor Nora getting scared out of her brains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, kind of lost my train of thought there. I was I had a point and then it went off, so I don't know. It'll come back. Um, <laughs> had a really good point. Um, but I almost thought myself the first time I saw this movie as a what the hell is going on here? Okay, this woman has hung herself. Now she's floating outside a window, but she's actually alive. Yeah. It's like so if you don't pay, it's a movie you have to pay attention to what's going on. Like I said, I rewound it a couple times last last night when I watched it. Like okay, what okay, what did I miss? Okay, how'd this get here? How'd this point get here? And it's like, what is going on? Okay, did I like did I did I miss something? It's like well, like Lance, you know, how we got out of the thing, and I was like, I honestly thought I'd missed something, you know. So like the the point I was trying to make, like it's not, you know, definitely not a predictable movie because it, there's so many different sort of lines of story going on, you know. And it's just like, okay, you're, you're on this track of, okay, this is it. And then, no, it's going to, like, do a friggin' 180 and go some other path. And I think that's what kind of makes it a, you know, it's, it's a bit of a fun watch because you do have to pay attention. It's not one that you can just, you know, flick it on and turn your brain off and just watch it for for watching it. Like, you really have to be, like, you know, not watching it at, like, you know, midnight and tired and trying to figure out what's going on. <laughs> yeah. And what helps what helps keep the confusion is what's going on is that Vincent Price as much as he's being eyed as the perpetrator of everything that's going on, he plays clueless to a lot of things and he convincingly plays clueless too. He does. He he plays that that Clueless, you know, he plays stupid really well. <laughs> you know, in a very, like, I don't know, could you just say it as like an elegant kind of way? Like, he just, he does it so well. Where it's well, just like, you get convinced that he's completely oblivious to what's going on. Well, I don't necessarily say he's almost oblivious or playing stupid, but. I think he's there are because you learn later in the movie that he has this plan, mm -hmm. but it seems like things are happening. What what makes him appear to be uh, confused as to what's going on is that things are happening that aren't part of his plan are happening. Yeah. There they are causing that. Well, what what to cause him to wonder what's going on around here? Mm hmm. Like, did he? I don't know, conspiracy theory. Did he actually, you know, uh, his plan seems really simple. Like, okay, you have to stay the night in this haunted house. And you stay, you stay here till 8 a.m. in the morning and you get your money. Like, it, it was simple as that. And then all this other stuff going on. So it's just sort of like, you know, did he actually you know, intend to, 
you know, genuinely kill people? Or is it something that just manifested through the gas? Like, they created this well, whole idea. Oh, shit. Like, shit's going to go down. And we better, like, be prepared kind of thing. And we're going to, well, you know, try and well, defend ourselves. Well, I think the best way we can... Yeah. I think the best way we can break it down is we have to go, we have to jump right to the end and reveal, well, not necessarily go to the end, but right right off the top of the movie, right on the first minutes of the movie, we know Vincent Price suspects that his wife is cheating on him, but mm-hmm. he can't divorce her until he can prove it. Mm-hmm. So we fast forward to the end of the movie where we found out that Annabelle is working with the doctor the whole time, Dr. Trent. The whole time, yeah. It, they, they hooked her up to a, a harness belt when she hung herself. When she appeared outside Nora, poor Nora's window. I'll just call her poor Nora. Nora has a last name. I'm just going to call her poor Nora. Um, so it's revealed that Doctor Trent comes to call out Vincent Price to set him up to get. Uh, I guess we're we're we're, we're I guess. To break this whole thing down, we're leaving out one plot point, and that's together, Annabelle and Frederick give everybody in the house guns. Mm-hmm. And uh, to what we think, we that to prove that they are real guns, Price uh, shoot, fires his gun, smashes a vase with his. So we are led to assume these are real guns. And you're thinking like... Uh, can't think of his name right now. The historian, the, the main historian guy. I can't think of his name right now. But he's like, well, you're think he's think he's thinking like the rest of us. Like, you're in a haunted house. What are guns gonna do? These guns aren't gonna help us against these ghosts. Doctor Trent's so convinced that Nora will shoot Frederick. That when Doctor Trent convinces, hey Frederick, we gotta search the house. You search. I'll search upstairs. You search downstairs. And later revealed, okay. Nora's in the basement, so the reason why Dr. Trent wants to search upstairs is because that's where Annabelle is, and that's when we get the reveal that those this is who Annabelle was cheating on uh, Frederick with. And I almost was concerned that, uh, I don't know, I, I thought I'd convince myself that it was uh, Lance that Annabelle was cheating on him with, just because we see Lance so much, involved so much in the movie, that it, I thought maybe that's who it was. But I guess I just forgot that it was uh, Dr. Trent. Mm-hmm. So it's later revealed that uh, Nora's down in the basement. The wine cellar scared out of her mind, and of course, Vincent Price. The lighting changes again, <laughs> and Vincent Price comes out of the shadows, and she turns around and shoots him. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we are led to believe that he is dead. Frederick is dead. So when. Dr. Trent comes down to check on him. Was it Dr. Trent comes down first, if I'm not mistaken, because I think they hear the gunshot. So, so after most of a little over an hour into the movie, which is this is like an hour, what an hour and fifteen minute long movie. It's not a very long movie. No, but uh, sure, really. But you get the you get the reveal that. Dr. Trent and Annabelle are working together. So when Dr. Trent goes on to check on Vincent's body, Dr. Trent is thrown in the vat of acid. Well, 
do we mention at the beginning of the uh, the beginning of the movie uh, when they're taking a tour of the house with Pritchard that the wine cellar instead of wine being the huge vat, it's acid. Because mm-hmm. I believe that's one where one of the murders happened. So this is a huge gaping pit of acid in the basement of this house. <laughs> right. Nobody thought the clean. <laughs> like no, just leave it. It's fine. <laughs> Put this huge, put this huge wooden door of it. They'll have to crank it open if they really want it. So I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Doctor Trent goes down there first, and uh, then later Annabelle. I think he tells Annabelle to meet him down there. Mm-hmm. So then, when the door opens and the skeleton, or no, oh, Annabelle comes down there and she hears the voice of uh, Frederick and the skeleton coming out of the vat of acid. Which, like we mentioned, we mentioned off air. <laughs> Go on IMDb. The skeleton that you see in this movie is listed as himself in the credits of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I must say, he did give a bone chilling. He did give a bone chilling performance. <laughs> <laughs> but no. uh, Annabelle's in the basement, allegedly by her. We're led to believe that. Vincent, or no, Friedrich is dead. So Annabelle's going on there to make sure it's done, looking for Dr. Trent. Can't find Dr. Trent anywhere, and all of a sudden the giant door opens and the skeleton comes out and essentially scares the shit out of her, scares her to death, and she eventually falls in the vat of acid to, lo and behold, reveal the giant, the Shyamalan should be taking, and Shyamalan should be taking notes of this plot twist. It was Frederick the whole time. He knew that Annabelle was cheating on him with the doctor and knew that Nora would shoot him so the, there were blanks in her gun. So Vincent Price was the mastermind the whole time. He, for being pre- pretending to be as clueless as he was, he actually had all of it. So he knew what he was doing the whole time. Mm-hmm. He really didn't know what he was doing the whole time. Everything was planned. So maybe that's why he tried to drop the chandelier. Maybe he did cut the chandelier, hoping he could t- he would take out the doctor. Yeah. Yeah, thinking that right timed, you know, just at the right moment, you know, he's standing under the chandelier, and then at that moment cuts it and, you know, hopes to kill him with it. But obviously he doesn't do that. And the, so, and the house, uh, the house has enough history for being haunted that he, he could, it, it could be a plausible like, oh, this house is no, no, being haunted. Seven people have been murdered in this house. So, so it can easily be, you know, just oh, chalked up to something supernatural, you know. Like, oh, it's just a ghost, you know. Well, eh, nobody actually. So we were to be. We're led to believe at the beginning of the movie, Vincent Price, uh, <laughs> Frederick chooses these people because he says they need the money. Lo and behold, it, it was set up to catch his wife cheating on him so he could divorce her or ultimately kill her and make it look like an accident, which he does. He's able to successfully do. Mm-hmm. And takes out... Takes takes out the adulterer with her as well. Yeah. So this is a not only a good whodunit movie, but it's also a great like revenge movie. Like 
It's it's really one of those movies that does come together at the end that you you will not be dissatisfied with the ending. Like it does pay off to sit watch the whole movie like oh the whole time. Well Vincent or his, Frederick knew the whole time what was going on. And he was prepared, he had everything prepared. He had all of his bases covered. So I like to think it was a um Edward Norton in the movie Rounders, he likes them when he gets caught cheating in a Texas Hold'em game. He says it in a loosely term, a layman's terms to Matt Damon um, when they get caught cheating at a, I think it's at a police department poker game or a fire department poker game, that he always likes to think steps ahead of other people. He likes to be prepared for situations, almost like Batman. Batman is always prepared. Yeah. He has every Batman has every detail planned out. So yeah. For any situation he's in. So the limit terms, Vincent Price is Batman. Pretty much. Like he would play Egghead in the nineteen sixties TV show, which is exceptional. <laughs> Sorry, my puns are excellent tonight. <laughs> if you're not if you, if, you, if you're not gonna like uh, original Friday Thirteenth, this cheesy, you will not like the '60s Batman show <laughs> with Adam West. <laughs> but Vincent Price does play a, a villain named Egghead, and uh, he makes egg puns. Who <laughs> <laughs> <I> wouldn't? <laughs> it's Your like character? you. He was a character made for you, Tim Rooney and Wes Forsyth. <laughs> Go back and watch yeah. that show. There was a lot of big stars from the, the 50s and 60s that appeared in that show as villains. Mm. Like, uh, for example, Carolyn Jones and John Austin, uh, Morticia and Gomez from the Adams Family, both played villains in the 60s Batman show. Uh, Zsa Zsa Gabor. Liberace, Milton Berle, Burgess Meredith. If I'm lying, I'm dying. They all played villains in the 60s Batman show, and so did Vincent Price. Wow. <laughs> I gotta say, I've seen some of the, the like 60s Batman, but I definitely haven't seen like all of it. So it's just really something I have to, have to watch. Uh, it'd be fun to see the actors in it. I haven't seen every one, but it's a goal. I do. I do have the entire first season on DVD. Um, I, I gotta get the other two seasons still to collect them. But um, Vincent Price is involved with that, so we can say that. But Vincent, like like I said, Vincent Price is essentially Batman in this uh, in this movie. He had everything covered. He knew somebody was gonna. I think he. I almost you can almost assume that he knew that. Annabelle and whoever she's working with was going to turn the crowd against him. He knew somebody was going to try to shoot them, shoot him. So he put he wisely wisely put blanks in everybody's guns. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, a, that's a hell of a freaking rig he had for the skeleton. There. No right. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, jeez. 
maybe I didn't see it this time, but I've always swore that you could always see the strings and the skeleton. Because I was like, I think that was the first the first time I saw this movie. That was like the first thing I joked about. Is you could see the string and the skeleton when it's coming out of the pit. But now that you can just write it off. Like, oh, it's a puppet. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you never know, because sometimes you know you get that right, you know, camera angle or that you know, lighting, and it just captures it for a second, right? If you're paying attention. Um, you know, it's just like, you know, in the Indiana Jones movie, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and he drops into the that pit, you know, with all the snakes and stuff. And you see when he's in front of the, the one snake that you see that line of glass that Harrison is in front of. And between him and the snake, you see that. The lightning goes, and you see that line. So, you know, if you're paying attention to it, though. But if not, then, you know, you don't see it. A lot of it back then is you didn't, I don't think back then they didn't accustom for high definition. So now in this day and age of HD, 4K, we are going to see a lot of those uh those things, so, so you just watched uh, the original Friday the Thirteenth when uh, Mrs. Voorhees gets beheaded. Did you notice those are man hands? When the hands go up and the head falls off. No, that's what, that's uh, I don't think it's Tom Savini, but it's uh, his assistant. That's what, those are his hands. We're playing Mrs. Voorhees's hands at the end of the movie. When the head comes off, you see the the hands go up. That's Mrs. Those are dude's hands. Huh? I didn't actually. Damn! I have to watch it again. Uh, <laughs> going back, I think it's 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 a lot like the director laugh during Revenge of the Nerds. It's you you yeah. it's quick and it's gone. But there is a goof like that in this movie I saw where um, when Annabelle is hanging in the hallway. Um, you see, I think it's, I don't know if it's a crew member, you see a crew member's hand. I didn't see it, but I just read, I read the, the trivia before we started recording. So next time I, I go to watch the movie, I'll try to keep an eye out for that. Now, like the laugh, you'll, know, you'll be able to hear it. I won't be able to unsee it now, but it, it would, I don't think it'd be, an, it, it's not going to be enough. Movies like this, it's not going to be enough to uh, ruin the movie for me. Every movie has a goof. And, uh, oh, I could name a bunch of movies on one hand that have little goofs, but it doesn't ruin the movie at all. Oh, Hollywood Babylon with Kevin Smith and Ralph Garman, they do a segment on their show called Shit That Should Not Be, and they essentially catch that shit. They'll, people will send in clips from movies and TV shows. Yeah, Shit That Should Not Be, because they do another one called... Uh, they, do, they do another thing where they make fun of... Uh, Exquisite acting, where the people they send in people from shows and movies overacting or something, but they should, they should not be. They send in goofs and all that stuff from uh, movies and TV shows. And Kevin Smith tries to break it down from a perspective of him being a director and a filmmaker. And a lot of it, they just chalk up to like, who the fuck's the, the people during the editing room? Like, hey, who's gonna notice that? It's real quick. Who's gonna notice it? Mm-hmm. Well, that's just it. Like if it's if it's nothing real significant, then you know why try and you know and hide it or edit it out somehow. 
you know, it, it may not even make it obvious if you're trying to, you know. Like, you really want to take the risk of, uh, you really want to go back and refilm the whole shot and use more money at the slight risk of something you might see Bill's hand in the corner of that shot. So how, how many movies and shows do you see like shadows from the mic from the equipment or something like that? It, it happens, <laughs> but it's a movie like this is it's a movie like this is that it's that that's not enough to ruin it for me. And it, I I I continue to make this movie not necessarily like an annual watch, but if I want to, like I feel like watching it surprise me. I I surprised by my favorite actor from the fifties. 50s, 60s. He's my favorite classic horror actor. I love Bella Lugosi. I love Car- Karloff and Lon Chaney. But I think Vincent Price is probably my number one. Mm-hmm. That's one of the... If I want to watch a Vincent Price movie, it's one of the few I'll throw in this or The Last Man on Earth. And I bought a collection of his. And I try, can't remember the name of the movie, but it's from the 70s, I believe. It's in color. Where he plays... I'll post it later on the page when I look it up later. That way I'm not feeling dead air, but essentially the plot summary is that he was a Shakespeare actor, like Shakespearean style actor, and he gets revenge on all the critics that gave him bad reviews. <laughs> it's actually a pretty neat movie. I'll, I'll, I'll post it on the page later with this episode, or I'll put it in the, the save us from getting all this dead air in there. But it's, Vincent Price was just the man up until the end. And, uh, and Edward says her hands. I really wish he would have been in, because it's often noted in uh, the trivia for I am for Nightmare Before Christmas that he was originally slotted to be the voice of uh, Santa in Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh damn! I want I'm... that. Ah. <laughs> 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 uh. <laughs> yeah, he was he was he was in bad health back then, so it didn't didn't come to be unfortunately which out of all, out of all the what could have been's in the world i think that's probably one of the biggest ones what could have been vincent uh, never for chris is already a great perfect movie already in itself and having vincent price thrown in as the uh, santa claus that would have been magnificent <laughs> <laughs> not that you can't describe the movie as magnificent already but <laughs> It's best described as it's it's definitely a Tim Burton movie. Know why? Because it has imagination. (laughs) (laughs) It's something which a lot of which a lot of Hollywood lacks nowadays is imagination and creativity. Tim Burton has never been short on any of those departments. He's always been, yeah. He's he's always, you know been himself like in his own creativity his own imagination he's never changed just because you know other people say so he just he makes his films that he wants to make and it adds his own creativity to it so and even when he's tackling established franchises like Batman well not established franchises but he's when he's tackling trademark stuff or Licensed characters like Batman, Alice in Wonderland, Dumbo, Planet of the Apes. He still has, he still puts that trademark stamp on it. Mm-hmm. So he, even though this is okay, this is a Batman movie. 
it's still you can tell it's a Tim Burton movie. Yeah. <laughs> Running to get something. Anyway. Is there a skeleton <laughs> in your basement? What? Is there a skeleton in your basement? In your vat really? of acid? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I want to know. But <laughs> uh, I, found, I did find some interesting IMDb facts on House on Haunted Hill. Nice. Because this is an audio podcast and Melissa is showing me something, I have to describe it to you. <laughs> Melissa is showing me a, a Vincent Price pin, which I'm very jealous of. I have a Vincent Price t-shirt I wear with pride. Um, I wore it to I wore it about I wore it last month, and a gal saw my shirt and she thought it was a doctor. She thought it was a Doctor Strange t-shirt. It's essentially it's a character it's a character of Vincent Price with a vortex behind it. So I could probably I could see why she would think that. But if Doctor Strange if Doctor Strange was a character back in the fifties, I'm pretty sure Vincent Price would be a good ringer to play him. Yes, he can he can pull that off. What's that? He could pull that off. Yeah, if I, if I could see it, if besides playing Egghead, if I could see Vincent Price playing a a comic book character would be Doctor Strange, or I'm. It's been on my li- my art list is a mile long, but I plan on I. I have this thing where I'm going to try to draw a bunch of classic actors and actresses as Batman villains, and I have one, and I have a uh, Vincent Price chalked up chalked up the draw as the Joker. Awesome. So someday soon when I can retire and have time all the time in the world to draw, that will be on my uh, list of things to do is draw him. I think I had like Marilyn Monroe as Harley and uh, all I have. I think I put Gregory Peck as Two-Face or something like that. Uh, Gregory Peck, I had uh, Oliver... Oscar, what? No. Who did Citizen Kane? Uh, oh, God. Uh, Orson Welles. Orson Welles, yes. Thank you. I knew I knew him. I almost said Oscar <laughs> Wilde. I'm like, no, that's not right. Orson Welles is the penguin. So I had all these like <laughs> pictures set up. Like, I could draw. I'm going to draw these characters of these people. Mm. Vincent Price's laugh alone is. Joker worthy, but we don't we don't get Vincent Price's trademark laugh in this movie at all. No, we don't. I, don't... I think if Vincent Price is known for one thing, it is his laugh. Definitely the most notorious laugh in all of Hollywood, past, present, future. Yep, definitely. Even if if people have not seen a Vincent Price movie, they've listened to Thriller, and they know that laugh. Yep. Yep. You just... (laughs) Or even, like, if you mention Vincent Price, they might... Somebody might associate it with that song. You know. Associate with that, or if they are big Facebook people, they'll associate it with the Vincent... Price and mozzarella stick appreciation meme. 
that <laughs> floats around on Facebook. Um, yeah, I'd say probably the one thing Price is known for is his laugh. That's mm-hmm. probably the one thing he would go down in history for is this. It's a very it's a very classic laugh. Uh, it's very fitting of like movies like this. And, uh, some uh, interesting IMDb trivia I found on this. Uh, um, speaking of suspenseful directors like John Carpenter, probably the king of suspense himself, Alfred Hitchcock, was inspired by this movie. And what it was was the small budget and how much it grossed from the small budget inspired him to make Psycho, which would come out a year later. Which is one of like the three movies people can associate with the start of the slasher genre. Some mm-hmm. people say it's Psycho from 1960. Some people say it's uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre from 1974. Some say it's the original Halloween from 1978. You get you get Black Christmas thrown in there a little bit too. It's also from 1974, but main yeah. reason why main reason why Black Christmas is thrown in there is because I think John Carpenter's outright said that he was inspired by Black Christmas to make Halloween. So without Black Christmas, you don't get Halloween. But um, but uh, speaking of uh, Psycho, that turn that has an anniversary next year. That turns uh, sixty next year. We should review that one. I love Psycho. Hmm. On my list, I haven't. I've been. It's one of those things where you just you've been meaning to you know meaning to see it, and then you just don't see it. So yeah, it's definitely on my like top five list of movies to watch. Yeah, I know. I these classics. <laughs> uh, classics are understandable to watch. Like, like I try to get my brother to watch uh, Psycho because I thought he'd like it. And like, oh, I don't like black and white movies. But, uh, <laughs> but um, another interesting fact I saw on IMDb was the House on Haunted Hill is listed as Elvira's favorite movie. Oh, yeah. And everybody knows me and knows I love Mason Elvira. I love Cassandra. I love Cassandra Peterson. She's <laughs> she she is my boo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, I said, notice I said boo and not boobs. <laughs> <laughs> She's made plenty of those jokes herself over the years, so <laughs> I'll leave it to the professional. Yeah, yeah this movie, uh, according to IMDb, take it with a grain of salt, that uh, she has said that House on Haunted Hill from 1959 is her favorite film. Or her favorite horror film. Yeah. <laughs> And also going back to Thriller, how he mentioned Vincent Price's trademark laugh. Now, like I say, with IMDb, you got to take their trivia with a huge grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Like, just like reading Wikipedia. You take everything you read on Wikipedia with a grain of salt yeah. to be the truth. But uh, I find this 
similarity to be a stretch. A oh, plastic boy. a plastic man style stretch. An elongated <laughs> man, a Ralph Dibney uh, a, uh, a Ralph Dibney uh, elastic man stretch. <laughs> no, correction. Elongated man. My bad. Sorry. There's a lot of stretchy superheroes. <laughs> a Ralph did me elongated man style stretch here for this one. But at one point in the movie, when Vincent Price is rounding up all the party guests to let them know that, because I think one thing you mostly didn't mention is that they, that when the, with the stipulations of the stipulations of the movies they have, their only chance to leave the house is at midnight when the caretakers lock them in. Yeah. That's so funny. when, so when, uh, Frederick is, Frederick is go, Hey, I got it right. Frederick is going to all the, all the rooms to notify the guests. It's close to, he says it's close to midnight. Uh, people are making the connect. Somebody's made the connection that, that, the first line of thriller is it's close to midnight. <laughs> now, I don't know if they're saying this is where they got it from. <laughs> Just because Vincent Price reads the dialogue at the end of thriller. Mm. And else stars in this movie, but that's why I call it a Ralph Dibney elongated man stretch. Yeah, yeah that's it's co- coincidence. Completely coincidental that it, it happens to be the same thing. Like, no, it's so. it, it's not going to be. This is not one of the most quoted. Uh, when you look at the quotes for the movie, I don't think it's close. It's close to midnight by itself is a memorable line. When you think of memorable lines from this movie, it's I suppose you wouldn't disappear for a million dollars or. Um, what was the one you said? Uh, don't sit up all night thinking of ways to get rid of me. It makes wrinkles. Yes. Those are more like, so those lines would appear in something. Okay. There you go. Yeah. Or there will be food and drink and ghosts. Ah, our guests are arriving. <laughs> yeah. See, yeah. there's, there's the memorable quotes like those. And then there's that one, which it's not, that it's, memorable it's line, you know, it's, and it's, it's not pure. It's pure. It's pure coincidence that he says it's close it's to midnight. Not... Yeah. So I highly doubt that's what Michael. I tell Michael and John Landis slooped him in, or Michael's writing the song. Hey, you know what? Fitz Price wrote that, said it's close to midnight once. <laughs> I think that'd be really yeah. awesome. I think people. Will, I think people will get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you said that in the movie 25 years ago. <laughs> what do we 25 in 1983 to uh, 26 years ago? Yeah, it's about 26 years after the movie came out. <laughs> Yeah. But if if somebody did sit there and think that Bravo, oh my, I tip my hat to you, sir or madam, if you sat there and figured that out. 
Yeah, well, I guess somebody has to. <laughs> more, more, more power to you, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Most any closing thoughts on House and Haunted Hill? What do you think of the movie in general? I think it's it's definitely um, it's a it's a decent film, and it's certainly it's it's quirky. Um, it's quirky. It's almost a little bit fun in some ways too. It's yeah, I really enjoy it. I know I definitely the first time I saw it. I I don't know maybe it was just not the maybe the right time to see it or something and I just I didn't really get into the movie all that much but now watching it you know again you know a few times over and you know I do enjoy it it's a it's a good film definitely worth a watch yeah it almost seems like the, the when we're young we're in our late teen our teen teens to early twenties we look at we look back at movies like this and just like to poke all the holes in it that we can, but movies like this seem to, we seem to get better as you mature. Mm-hmm. You sit back and appreciate them for more, uh, more like probably like you. I was probably my early twenties, probably the first time I saw this movie and I straight out treated it like mystery science theater 3000, just poking fun at it the whole time. And then, now the the more I watch it, the more I appreciate it. And like, yeah, when you look at how what how the stage is set for horror nowadays, you appreciate this more as a thriller or a, or or who done it if you're into that kind of thing. Um, but it's definitely worth a watch. It's it's definitely got rewatchable value to it. Um, I said it's not a yearly watch for me, but I I, I don't have a it's not going to be the first movie I throw in, but I definitely will watch it if I am in the mood for it. If I'm like, yeah, I feel like watching Vincent Price. I'll throw, uh, why not House on Haunted Hill? Why not The Fly? Why not Last Man on Earth? Mm-hmm. So, I'd say it, it's definitely a great movie to check out. Um, I, I would consider it a classic, classic horror movie. Um, I'll throw it up there with the uh, with your uh, you got your different levels of classic for horror movies. I throw it up there with uh, the Universal Monster movies and stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely, it ranks up with those ones. Definitely, yeah. And nothing screams. Uh, there's two names that are if I were to attached two names that are synonymous with classic horror. It's definitely Vincent Price and Alfred Hitchcock. Definitely. Those two. Right? You think of classic horror. If you get past the 30s and 40s with the Universal Monster movies, you think Karloff, you think Lugosi, you think Lon Chaney, Lon Chaney Jr., Claude Rains. Um, mm-hmm. I, can't think of the, I can't think of the gal that plays uh, the bride of Frankenstein, but um, um. Um, but uh, yeah. but when you get into like the fifties and sixties, a lot of the two names that are synonymous with classic horror are definitely uh, Vincent Price and Alfred Hitchcock. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, somebody asked you name, you know, your two 
you know, four people. And first two people you should be naming is, you know, Vincent Price and Alfred Hitchcock. Definitely. Yeah. It's kind of the obvious answer of, yeah, those two. Definitely. Yeah. So, like we said, we this movie gets two thumbs up from both of your ambassadors. Give it a watch. It's not just you know, it's it's not a specific it's not Halloween specific either. Either it's it's a good rainy day movie. Mm-hmm. Good rainy day, good foggy night movie. You're in the, you're in the in the mood for a good whodunit, like a murder mystery. Definitely check it out. Mm-hmm. And it's 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 corny, but it's not the type of corny where you're gonna poke a million holes in it. Yeah. You're not gonna you're not gonna tear it to shreds. No. Like some bad B movie. Yeah. So uh it's a f- the end of an era, Melissa, it's the end of October now. <laughs> our all of our spooky treats are done for another year. But I think we picked a good one to end on, a good classic movie. I think so. I don't think we could have picked any better. Well, we we had quite the. I, I, I guys, I want to apologize. I wanted to, I wanted to do a lot more stuff for Halloween for you guys. Um, I, I'll take I'll take the brunt of the blame for that. I wanted to do a lot more, like do mini videos and do other stuff for for October. And I'm sorry, guys. I'll, I'll take the heat for that because me and Melissa love Halloween so much and. Even though I didn't do a haunted house this year, I still find myself in a, having a busy October. <laughs> it's just insane. But uh, next Halloween, I I'll try my bet. I'll try better, do better things, or we can make up for it at Christmas time. Because I'm also a big Christmas fiend too. Oh yeah, we can definitely. Uh, yeah, maybe we'll make up for it by doing some epic Christmas stuff. I got some ideas, and we'll talk about them off air. But. Uh, because I think our next big episode now is a certain comic book movie that came out in October that I've been I was looking forward to all year. <laughs> and guys, we we've been spoiling you with pretty short episodes, hour, hour and a half. <laughs> Buckle up for the next one. But like going back, yeah, our our Halloween selection was quite unique um, this year. We started off with uh, well interviewing Jason for the Midwest Monster Fest, which we need to get him back on and talk about it. Talk about how the 45th anniversary reunion went with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre crew. Then we took a quick break. We did. What did we? Oh, we talked about. Then we took a quick break while Melissa talked about the DC movies that she finally started to get caught up on. Then we, beginning of the month, we dove full into Halloween. We started off with uh, the Great Pumpkin, doing a counter check for the Great Pumpkin, which that was fun. Um, then we did. We. Did a review, brief review of uh, the Ice Nine Kills album "Silver Screams," which was very horror inspired. And then we did one of my favorite cartoons of all time. We did Rocco's Modern Life's "Sugar Frosted Frights." That was last week's episode, I believe. It, yeah. But uh, it's definitely not your not your standard run of the mill uh, Halloween lineup. And then we, I go, oh, ask Melissa, what, what should we do for Halloween? We have got to do something act- real big for our actual Halloween and. I looked up movies that were sub movies that are having anniversaries for uh, this year, and as soon as I saw House on Haunted Hill, my eyes lit up. 
<laughs> we gotta do that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when Jared told me that we should do that one, I just I totally sensed his excitement off that one. It's like yes. And I was excited too, because you know, we both we both enjoy the movies, so I you know, definitely fun to kind of, you know, watch it and then talk about it. Yeah, and we could double down on our Scarathon too. Mm. Which I did a lot better on Scarathon this year than I did on Drawloween. Yeah, I did one Drawloween, and then I've kind of, well, okay, no, well, I've done a little bit of, of the, uh, like, horror movie watching, I guess, like The Shining and Friday the 13th and all that. So I guess I haven't failed miserably. Definitely, yeah, I've done better with Drawloween. Oh. Well, we we can't we can't be like Guy Milks and Jamie Drury and start our scarathon in the middle of September. Yeah. <laughs> uh, at the time of this, at the time of this recording, I am a few. I'm only like two days behind on my scarathon, but I can easily make that up in a marathon on a on a lazy Saturday or Sunday, which mm-hmm. I plan on doing doing a couple double features on a couple Saturdays or Sunday or Sundays or something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh. From from Melissa and myself and my two kitty cats, happy Halloween, Junior Ambassadors. Um, Melissa, where can the Junior Ambassadors follow you? They can find me on Twitter at Miss, uh, Miss Melissa N. And they can also find me on Instagram at the same, um, of the same name. And then also on Facebook at my name, Melissa Nicholson. So, almost all the social medias. <laughs> <laughs> and on social media, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at QCA Mr. J as a tribute to my favorite comic book character, the Joker. On Facebook, you can find me as my name, Jared Boots. And then you can follow us at United Nations Podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, don't forget to like and subscribe to us on Podbean and on uh, iTunes. I am working on getting us on Google play store and Stitcher. I do not have an exact date when I'm going to attempt it, but I will, I am working on getting some more platforms guys to make it more convenient for you guys to listen to us. Uh, if you're on Apple podcast, give us a like and a review. Uh, we'll be like every other podcast. We'll read the reviews out loud as long as they're positive on the air, but thank you for your continued support as we're almost what five months into this journey now Ooh. going on it for a while. We're in, Double digits. Feel like it's the same, but I'm glad we But uh, I just want to thank you on behalf of Melissa and myself. I want to thank you guys for the support and wish you guys happy Halloween. Make sure you join us next time when we talk about Joker. I cannot wait to see. I cannot wait to talk about. Um, me and Melissa have been looking forward to this movie all year, and it's finally here. And mm-hmm. I started calculating my top ten movies for 2019 so far. Clearly, my number one was Joker. Spoiler alert. My number, my number one, my number one and number two were pretty set in stone. Joker and Shazam. Oh yeah, that's yeah, that's my top two. Well, will be my top two Joker. But uh, I've only at the time of this recording, I've only seen like eleven movies this far so far from this year that were released in twenty nineteen. 
But you know what? That means it knocked Captain Marvel out of my top ten. <laughs> and I'm pretty... Which means... So are you guys sitting down? Are you Marvel fanboys sitting down for this? That means the new number 10 is Endgame. Which oh, means there's a slim chance that Endgame's going to get knocked out of my top 10, too, by the year's end. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Nobody saw that coming. <laughs> Not off. <laughs> Unpredictable. <laughs> I will get roasted online for this. The Banana Splits movie knocked Captain Marvel out of my top 10 movies of 2019. A billion dollar movie got knocked out of my top 10 by a straight to DVD release from sci fi. <laughs> Which you heard me talk on the. You heard me talk on the Silver Screams episode how I talked about uh, Banana Splits movie. I did a quick review of it. How the cheesy acting and everything. I love it. <laughs> and that knocked out Captain Marvel out of my top ten. <laughs> Which it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have taken much of that. I, I probably could have found some random student film from UCLA that would have knocked Captain Marvel out of my top ten. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. But uh, yeah, maybe we'll do that at the end of the year. We'll we'll calculate our top ten movies for the year. I, I there's some that are have already come out, like a video that I need to see still. Plus, I'm still I still have at the time of this recording. Oh, well, I still have yet to see Adam's Family. I'm yet to see uh, Knives Out, which is another whodunit. I've yet to see. Uh, I know there's another one in November. I, wonder, I haven't seen Toy Story 4 yet. I haven't seen... Neither. I haven't seen that one yet. I haven't seen... Uh, and I'm also anticipating Star Wars at the end of this year, too. Yes! And uh, Beautiful Day... Is it Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood or Once You've Been a Neighbor? The Tom Hanks, Mr. Rogers movie. Yeah, I think it's Once You Be My Neighbor. I think is what it's called. It's yeah. one of those... <laughs> I know that... that it's opening around Thanksgiving. I know it's opening up against Frozen Two, yeah. so that's gonna be a that's gonna be a tough weekend for that movie. Oh, definitely. But uh, yeah, maybe at the end of the year we'll do uh, our top ten movies of the year of 2019. I think it will be a pretty easy. Uh, I think it'll be a pretty easy list to make. <laughs> oh yeah, I don't have to worry about. I don't have to worry about Marvel anymore. No. So I'm pretty sure Star, unless Star Wars completely drops the ball, I think Endgame might be knocked out. Mm-hmm. But, but you know what? I, I still have a couple. I still have a couple Disney properties in my top ten. Yeah, I have not even seen Star Wars. Well, nobody has, obviously. But I would already put Star Wars on my list and completely knock out Endgame. I'm willing, to, I'm willing to reserve a spot for Star Wars in my bottom five. Yeah, like it's it wouldn't be in a in like a you know top five, but sort of below that, but also not like number ten. Yeah, it can be number ten, but 
It's a, it'll, it'll more likely knock Endgame off my list for the year. Yeah. Oh, I've already. I've. I wouldn't even add Endgame to my list. Which is saying something. Yeah. But uh. So we're gonna leave you on this Halloween episode with some words of wisdom that we're gonna start saying from now on. Don't stay up all night thinking of ways to get rid of us. It just causes wrinkles. Happy Halloween, guys. The thoughts and opinions expressed by your ambassadors and their guests are theirs and theirs alone. And do not represent the companies they happen to work for. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening, guys.